0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate.
1: Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Paul Simpson of the Wild Swans, who's just brought a book out. This is December 2023. This is a memoir titled Revolutionary Spirit, a Post-Punk Exorcism which talks all things Liverpool from Eric's to the Teardrop Explodes and much, much more. This has come out on Jawbone Press and it's a brilliant read, so do check it out and buy a copy. It might just change your life. But anyway, um, we had quite a few minutes of chat before the interview because we did an interview about four or five years ago trying to remember remember when that was before getting down to that exciting subject that was the basically the early formative years and also the reason for the book coming out and when it was started anyway paul tell us now tell us everything
0: well it probably it probably was we just didn't talk about it on that instance because i have been kind of oh, i've been i've been writing these stories because my book is a series of stories it's it's not really a conventional um, memoir it doesn't well it no it is a memoir but it's not an autobiography you know so it's 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 it's, it's stories strongest the strongest stories from decades you know um, and yeah i had a kind of false start i i initially started it with some sort of crowdfunding campaign but that didn't really work out um, and it wasn't because it didn't get funding it was just uh it was just it just didn't the the guy who signed me uh left the company but neglected to tell me um so and then i and then i pulled out I thought, oh, don't. they don't seem to know know who i am when i phone them up so i pulled out um so yes, yeah, sorry to answer your question i um i think i think it was my pal will sergeant he he was writing his, and he knew I, I'd been writing for years, and I'd shared some writing with him. And he said, "Why don't you talk to my agent, Matthew Hamilton?" So, which I did, and Matthew took me on straight away, which was fantastic. He didn't have to; it's not like I'm at Will Sargent's level of fame. And um, uh, and he just we we put a little pitch together with an out a book outline, and 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 he approached. Um, all the usual publishing suspects, uh, and I got the same reaction from all of them actually, which was, "Yeah, great, we like your writing, but you're," and they say this to you. They're not kind of shy about it. You're you're not famous enough to make this project viable. <laughs> it's like I like can slap them in that Nazi's cloak, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then um, the, a very small indie publishers called Jawbone Press, who I was aware of. Uh, they said, we'll put it out, out you know. Um, and they assigned, it's, it's only a very small operation, but but the, I was delighted to find my editor, um, it's a guy called Tom Seabrook, who wrote a very good book about David Bowie in Berlin, called called Bowie in Berlin. And um, And it took us a little while to, it took me a little while to land upon a style, because I, all I knew was I didn't want to write a conventional rock memoir that starts. I was born in 1963 in Rotherham. How did I get to the Hollywood Bowl? You know, yes. they, they it's just a default sort of thing those books do. And I also didn't want a book that started. My grandfather was born in, you know, um, 1906, that kind of stuff, because that's another trope. And I, I, I did want to do something different. And I like, so I landed upon this first, this historical first person, present tense thing, which is is really hard to do. It's, it's a difficult tense to write in. Um, the advantage is the reader feels connected to you straight away because they're looking through your eyes in the moment. Yeah. So the negative the negative side of it is it denies you any reflection. So you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't tell a story and then say, but thinking about it, after 10 years I I realized that I was wrong because you break the spell. It's always in the present moment. So um as a consequence, I felt the need to write a little author's note. To explain that to you know, basically get out of jail card to anyone I might have offended in the text, um, because of course on reflection years later you I realised that some I blamed some people for things that were actually my fault. But but it took me forty years to realise that. But if I put that in the text, it 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 totally breaks the spell and you lose the going to lose the reader's attention. So, so I wrote an author's note, which I wanted to go at the front of the book, but because I'm terrible with deadlines, and I, I miss my 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 de- two deadlines for the book because I just I'm not used to them. I, I just thought they were like it was like deadlines in the music industry, you know? Oh, the album's slated for spring next year. Oh, oh, it's going to be late. It, it doesn't matter, you know. No one cares. I didn't realise they're, <laughs> they're solid things, and I got. I got reprimanded quite severely um, for doing it. Uh, so I, I sent them the author's note, but it, but it was too late to go the front of the book because it would have messed with the pagination. So they had to put it at the end of the book with the acknowledgments. So people are going to read the whole book being really angry with me before they were. oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping so, anyway. If they right, that so
1: that was, that. yes, that was quite an interesting one. Because there's been, because the bit you said about, at the beginning, you know, about not being mm. famous enough. But what I noticed, and there was another publisher called, I think it's Nine Eight Books, and they've oh, been yeah. bringing out a lot of books. And a lot of the authors are really, you know, and I've spoke to quite a few of them. I think most of them were a little bit surprised thinking well you know basically saying look i'm not sure why you want me to write my book because no one's that interested and we didn't particularly make it i mean um you know either somebody who ran a small record label or a member from world of twist i mean mickey from lush is one of them and obviously she's done a lot of publicity for hers but what mm. i liked about it was that they were people who were generally n- n- under the radar more than you know the people that you hear about all the time yeah
0: well to be honest, I was I was quite surprised to see some of those books, the the um, the world of twist book and stuff, because I'd I'd had, I'd had a, uh, I, I, I as I said I'd been told I wasn't really my profile was too low to to justify, and I thought well I think my profile's slightly higher than the world of twist. <laughs> you know, um, but I, I bought that book. You know, oh, it was great. I, what they're a fantastic band, you know? Um Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm just delighted. I'm delighted that that it's finally arrived. You know that I that I, that I did it because I'm a, I'm a terrible one for promising things. You know, oh yeah, doing a new Wild Swan's on. I've been saying that for like ten years. And people believe me. And and I I actually mean it when I say it, but they take it literally. And I just mean, eventually I'll get around to really sitting in the swan zone.
1: So when, during the lockdown period, were you just fully immersed in writing and going through the process of putting this publication? No. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. Well,
0: what, 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 what I was doing is just, so in December, late November, December, 2019 just prior to lockdown immediately weeks prior to lockdown i was in the studio with the wild swans and we were recording a new record and that oh we've got all the backing tracks down but i didn't get the vocals down and i thought well i'll i'll come in after christmas and then lockdown happened um covid happened the studio closed for a while and then um when Post COVID, when the all clear sirens went, I I couldn't actually afford because it's self financed. I couldn't afford to go back and do the vocals at that point. Then the studio was sold, so there's been there's been a few um, speed bumps in in the road to to getting it finished. And of course, I don't know whether you remember from our last conversation. I also I have a kind of a, a, a problem in my lungs. Uh, I, I went to Sri Lanka in two thousand and nine, and I got a sort of parasites. Through the sole yeah. of my foot and it kind of it's a bit like um it's very similar to uh malaria symptoms um so you know maybe three times a year i'll have this sort of bad patch where I, my, my my breathing's quite labored and um you know, like there's no way I could sing. Um and I have to kind of subdue it with exercise and stuff to get on top of it. It's not it's not gonna kill me but it is when it's bad it's really quite bad you know um, so there's also that so sometimes when I have had the money to finish the record or someone's offered to you know finance it, uh I hadn't actually been well enough to do it right uh, so that is on the cards though, so once the book promo is out the way, that's my next that's where my focus is going to go into finishing the vocals and getting that out. I'd like to get that out as soon as possible, really um um yeah i mean even that's been years now it feels like <laughs> months but it's been years you know but the great thing about wild swans fans are they're very loyal and they're used to waiting right <laughs> so they know they know that i only do an album every 10 years i only yes. do a tour tour every 10 years um, and and that 10 can be 12
1: <laughs> My God. So,
0: uh, yeah so so it's not a big deal you know I don't I don't get I don't get angry kind of uh, emails
1: saying you said um this you know and is and is your stock still very strong in the Philippines is is that your sort of Yeah yeah um it it it, it,
0: it, it never it never wavers really it's not just mine it's just it's kind of the the cure the smiths there's a general kind of the melodic end of new wave um post-punk is huge in the philippines and it always will be because what's happening now is children are 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 inheriting their parents it's all they play it's all they listen to it's all the radio stations play so uh it's just they they just come something in it just chimes with the filipino you know and they're very romantic
1: people and um it will always be that way I, I don't see it changing and have you got a solid band at the moment or a, quite a solid lineup
0: um I, well the band the band i used for the album was the pretty much the band i took to the philippines last uh, in 2010 2009 or or was it was it 2000 i can't remember now to promote the coldest winter for 100 years album the same people that played on on on, on the last album um, but I don't, I am the worst ones really on my own, uh, because they all play in other bands,
1: which yes. is great.
0: It's a, it's a perfect solution really. If they're available, they'll, they'll, they'll play on it. You know, if I've got the money to get, to get people to, to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've only really got to ask them and they'll, they'll be there. So if, if, if you know, if I get a tour lined up. Yes. if they're available I... they'll come you know it's it's just it's, you know what it's like it what something nice has happened in that when we were all 21 it was easy we all we were all kind of fancy free we could do anything we wanted it was easy to to get everyone in a rehearsal room easy to get anyone to gig then what happened as we got into our 30s and 40s we all had responsibilities we had rent we had mortgages and kids to to bring up and stuff. So then that was a nightmare trying to get trying to get five people in the studio at the same time. Well, oh, I can't do it. I've got you know. Oh my god! Um, but now, <laughs> now we're all old and our kids have grown up. It's it's kind of should be a bit easier again. Yes. Uh, and I would like. I mean, I've never. I don't. I don't like playing live. I must admit, I don't really enjoy playing live. Or I, I never used to anyway. And that's why I don't do it very often. I had very bad experiences with it in my youth. In the Wild Swans, Mark one, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Wild Swans. It's it's been the way, you know. Uh, It's always been the way of it. But you know, um, I'm I'm hoping that can change. And it feels just just feeling the temperature of the times. My stocks generally gone up of late without me doing anything beyond some social media posting i haven't actually released any new material i've released um, some 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 old old stuff unreleased stuff came out last year and things but um mm-hmm. beyond that it's just i just think the times are right yes. for the wild ones and and i'm one of the few characters from that original eric's liverpool scene whose story hasn't been told um and that's be, Pretty much because louder voices than mine controlled the narrative. You know, I I was shy, I was quiet, um, and and uh, so so the people that wrote the books before me and did the did the did the interviews, the press interviews, told the story according from their camera angle. You know, and I was left out for the most part, or or certainly marginalised. So so it's nice that people are listening now. Yes, and about, and I think and
1: about, yeah. I was going to say there's there's been a lot more kind of documentation, hasn't there? I mean, David is it Dave Haslam? He brought his little book out about Liverpool, which I did an interview, and I was a bit confused because he said he wasn't always that bothered about the facts. He just liked the story, which I thought was a bit strange. And yeah,
0: um, um, that that was his book about Courtney Love, wasn't
1: it? It was, and it was. Yeah, bit, I
0: mean, I, I like I like Dave, and I admire his work, but. I, I'd, someone had kind of steered him askew on that because I wasn't I wasn't really mentioned. He didn't seem to know that Courtney had shared a flat with me and Peter Freitas. It was all conjecture, really, um, and he was a bit surprised when I messaged him and said, <laughs> <laughs> "Why am <why> I not?" <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I, you know, well, actually, you know, I think that's fair enough. I think it's fair enough. that he, 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 It's a bit like an impressionist painter, an abstract painter, you know, tackling a subject. Who said it has to be? There's this. There's this thing I quite like, called um, sort of a metaphorical truth. You know, it's right. there's, there's your there's your truth, there's my truth, there's a metaphorical truth, and it might be that's what <laughs> that's what he was he was going for. You know,
1: yes. Uh, co- I think I think it's kind of interesting because we mentioned about sort of looking back at time and I think now that um is it, I, there's a guy who's done this book called where he's written letters i think his name is D&D Philpot he writes these kind of little letters um to bands pointing out their lyrics and you know like the fact that some of them don't make sense from one song to another and and you know a bit like somebody writing to the local paper and he but he his day job really is playing you know music in dementia home care homes really to to an audience and he said it's really good now because he's got up to the the seventies and eighties you know the people in in these care homes at that age so he's playing the Clash wow. and the Smiths and things like that and I think people are generally discovering the eighties more and that's why bands like yourself and there's the the sound there's the Comsat Angels, there's um, the Bolshoi, all these bands who who were slightly under the surface of Echo and the Men, Union, uh, Cope, and then the Smiths and et cetera, et cetera. But I think people are digging down and going, oh, actually, there's all this other scene. And I, I think that's why a lot more bands are getting discovered because you're thinking, how did that kind of not get, What? how was that not bigger? Why were we listening to you 2 and Simple Minds when you could have been listening to these other bands? And it's like, well there was only so much space for them and so many and there was the gatekeepers as well wasn't there and it was like well you had the John Peel show but then if you were there and you never got to the radio one you know daytime with Mm. Steve Wright in the afternoon you didn't get to the next level of Bono or Jim Kerr and people like that and 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 you just kind of get lost
0: yeah I've written about that a little bit in the book about that um there's there's a misconception. I wanted to make this point. I really want to make this point that there's a misconception that people sometimes think that people like myself are and always have been trying to have hit records and failing. Uh, and I, I wanted to make this point that that's never what it's been about. It's never. We've never tried to have hits, really. Any of us. It, um, um, we're just trying to make the best music we can under the constraints upon us and um it, it, it was we were never really it was never about fame and money it was about sort of recognition we, all you wanted was someone to go oh that band are good they've got some kind of principles that you know um which is why John Peel was so important because he was the only one that was championing us and outsiders really um but uh, yeah it, it uh I think I think what what's happening at the moment is so it's a bit of a glutted market. The 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 the, the, the s musician um, memoir. There's so much of it, but it's doing really really well. But I, I predict that in a year's time, it will be so saturated. Uh, but also uh, another the next generation. Um, will be wanting all all the books are going to be about that the, the kind of the the, the 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 rave scene and the acid house scene you're going to get tons of those i think because it's uh, that that's what's going to happen it's like it's like anything that the 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 circus moves on you know um but it, it, i think also what why why the interest is is sustaining at the moment in 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 the 80s and, and post punk is. Um, is that it, it was one of the last counterculture scenes that hold weight. You know, we had we had we had kind of brick pop and Manchester Grunge and Britpop, Pop, and, and Brit Pop's kind of not quite got the Gravitas. No, um, uh, um, of of the kind of post punk scene, um, grunge has got its credibility, but it's not that interesting musically. You know, once 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 you've heard, <clears throat> you know, Nirvana, uh, th- th- it's not it's not that richer scene to mine musically. Um, so I think that's that's kind of why. Post punk is is uh, is is evergreen, but I do I do think it might that might change soon. It just feels to me like
1: it might change
0: soon. We'll
1: be looking I think, at the nineties. You know, I don't. Yeah, the John Major years. I think the eighties. I mean, part of it I think was the the Thatcher period. You know, she gets in in seventy nine. Then there's the the Falkland War, the miners' crisis. Mm-hmm. There's Greenham Common. We really thought we were going to die, and there was no. <clears throat> Career was there. There was very little on the career front. I know you had the yuppies and people on that side, but there was an awful mm. lot of people who were signing on and just doing job seekers' loans, enterprise allowance scheme. With no idea of much of the future, so I think with all the interviews I've done of m- these, you know, musicians and bands in that time, everybody took it incredibly serious. There wasn't sort of like I've got a day job and I'll be a, do do the music a couple of days a week. It was like I'll do the I'll be so intent, and it's so such. It's almost like they, I didn't realize how tortured and how serious people were about making music at that time, and that's why I think most of it. Has lasted, and people are discovering it now. Of sort of finding things that they missed the first time, or they didn't hear the first time. I don't think you're going to get that with Britpop and the Shine compilations, where you go, "Oh yeah, there's quite a lot of depth to this." Whereas mm. most musicians and artists and lyric writers and singers, they were really trying so hard to do something quite unique, and getting John Peel to play it and think, "That's fine. We'll do the John Peel show, John Peel session, the first album." That's our art, and we'll leave it at that. And they like, say, "Oh, we'll do another one, and then possibly a third, and then it all, you know, ends in tears." Yeah, but... it,
0: it was all—it was all we had, you know. It was all we had to define us was 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 our music, our bands, and um, and we were all we were all signing on. But that kind of actually, you know, it, it was awful. Actually, it was awful. But for us, at the time, it was also a godsend because. There were there were so many empty warehouses and um, empty buildings you could you could use to rehearse in and um, I mean everything's changed so much in the in the late seventies and early eighties in Liverpool. Um, no one lived in the centre of town. Imagine that. Now it's ridiculous. It's like no one want, wanted to live in New York, you know. And it, and it all being empty. So pe- people worked in the daytime and they went out to the into the into the suburbs. Of an evening um so rent was ridiculously cheap you know i had a bed sit in the center of town it was really nice on the on on the kind of one of the nicest roads through liverpool rodney street like the harley street of liverpool i guess a lot of doctors' surgeries and stuff but at night it was a ghost town and i was paying seven pounds fifty a week when i took that i was the only yes. applicant for the flat that's why the landlord reluctantly <laughs> let me live there because i was the only applicant um, um, and um, you know, we 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 could rehearse cheaply. We could, you know, pop up kind of scenes everywhere, p- parties in empty properties. And it, it, I now look think of it as a sort of golden age. But it it was a, it was a golden age with um, fingerless gloves, you know, and the yes. soles um, flapping
1: off your boots, you know. Going to the army and navy stalls, really wasn't it? And buying oh, yeah, some yeah, thick socks. And I still
0: years. I still do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was interesting because there was this the club in Glasgow called the Hellfire Club, that was which began in this sort of only a few years, but it was a great place for rehearsals, for networking. You know, I think, you know, I think that was the Simple Minds place. But the people who were part of that scene for those, you know, three to five years created quite an important sort of cultural, po- po- you know, moment. And the same with what mm. happened in New York. But, the, you know, you had Eric's. So Eric's was obviously this kind of very important place did you growing up obviously being in liverpool now it doesn't seem so different well it seems quite different the narrative but how how did the beatles work in your childhood at this stage
0: oh that's that's good Uh, yeah well i can so my father was in the merchant navy and so i only saw him every kind of six months 18 months sometimes you know um like he was away at sea when I was born. He didn't see me until six months um, But when he came home, he was sort of a glamorous stranger. You know, with a tan in a uniform. But he—I remember him bringing home um, "Love Me Do" by the Beatles. You know, and he bought it from Nems Brian Epstein's Nems in, in town in Liverpool, and uh, and I got very excited when. He put it on. He had this little, um, you know, what was it called? Like a bush, <laughs> yeah. record yes. player, um, mono player. And uh, and my mum and my sister, my sister, a few years old, were da- were dancing around the lounge. And I remember thinking, God, this is it. I don't know what this is, but it's really exciting. And then he he bought every Beatles single as it came out. Not for himself. He just, I think, he just recognised that it was a phenomenon. He must have read about it or something, or someone told him about it. And um, so I can kind of map my childhood out in, in, in Beatles singles. We never had any albums. It was just the singles. And um, and then they just stopped. They just stopped all of a sudden. And it was because I, I, I didn't know this at the time. I found this out years later. My dad had, uh, his shipping line had gone bust. So he was unemployed for a couple of years. So the, so the records stopped. And then he got a job on land. Working for some sort of you know in, in, introducing containerization to the UK from Canada, some sort of desk job, and um, and Hey Jude appeared, you know as I I, I remember writing somewhere like it's like Beetle, it's like um, bananas after the war you know no one had seen any fruit for years yeah. this this Hey Jude appeared, so um, I love the Beatles but of course I would never have admitted that in 1976 77 to <laughs> my pals. In fact, uh, when Dave Balf of Zoo Records appeared, you know, uh, Bill Drummond and Dave Balf Zoo Records, Dave was very vocal in his love of the Beatles, but we'd all, you know, we all subscribed to the clashes, Noel, the Beatles, or the Rolling Stones in 1977. So we we thought that was like, you know, oh my God, who's this idiot, you know? Um, But no, I've always always loved the Beatles and... um, and My favourite Beatles is the early Beatles. Are you know uh, my my partner is obsessed with with um, with Abbey Road, you know, because that that's she's a bit younger than me. That was, that was her something she listened to um, when, with her dad when she was younger. But I'm just like that, those early Beatles singles. I just I love them. You know, if, if, if 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 I can, the, the last thing I want to listen to on my deathbed is is
1: Love Me Do or um, that's quite nice, isn't it?
0: Did you, you, wa- you know.
1: did you watch the documentary of the Beatles when they were re- recording their last album and um the eight, yes, yeah. Did that yes. Did that make you feel did you relate to much of that or did you Oh
0: absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was a wonderful thing. I know some for some people that must be like watching paint dry, just just those guys in the studio kind of making tea and talking about um no, it, it it resonated on lots of levels. made me made me sad actually, and but but also also kind of, it made me reflect on my own relationship with my own bandmates when we were, the age the Beatles were. Yes, and how we you know, we all had, like like the fame you know famously the Beatles chemistry. You know, John, John. John was the sort of negative glasses half empty guy. Paul was the glasses overflowing. You know, um, uh, George was the the spiritual one, and, and Ringo was the kind of you know the the straight down the line straight one. And um, and and we all had we all had our, our role in the Wild Swans and in the title explodes as well. Um, but I but I didn't realize that until. Watching that documentary it made me think about what my role was and why we didn't talk about it with each other. Why we didn't talk about our, our grievances with each other and our frustrations with each other. And if we just talked about it, we would have been fine, and we would have wouldn't have split up. We would have kept going. And, yeah.
1: Yes, I remember Stuart Copeland when the police, you know, reformed, and um, obviously everyone was very excited and everyone was very happy apart from two of the members of the band <laughs> <laughs> cuz they were like you know we're not so they had band therapy and um you know and wow. St- and sting you know said to you know stuart actually all those comments really get to me you know i pretend they don't but everyone gets it's like straight to me and i think they sort of just said it and then got on with the rest of the tour and thought that's my pension sorted in a cynical sort of way but did you feel that band therapy could have been good for the the wild swans in those early years
0: um
1: i mean we we wouldn't have gone (laughs) if it'd been often
0: to us we wouldn't have gone but um but but it's kind of a great idea actually i really like the idea of that. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm a i li- am i am a little concerned about how my ex bandmates will react to my book. Actually, because because as I mentioned at the start of this um, this talk with you um, about because it was all written in the moment. You know, I placed myself back in the moment to write it. I am a bit worried that I've tackled them too hard, but 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 the reality is, I I, I only tackle them as hard as I felt the wound at the time. Um, you know, and what, what what I hope they take away from it is that if they look at the acknowledgements, I I kind of list them in my life friends for life category kind of thing you know, despite feeling that they might have wounded me very, very <laughs> deeply at times um, because I, I, I've got it all in a bit more perspective now than I did more yes. than I did even five years ago, writing it down. What, what is the thing? So the book title is the, is revolutionary spirit, but there's a subtitle, a post-punk exorcism. And, um, and it, it, it was an exorcism. It, it's kind of worked. I feel I feel so much lighter having written it down, and and I'm really looking forward to to next Tuesday when it's published because I think then I, I think that'll be the last of it. That'll be the last
1: demon expunged,
0: <laughs> hopefully. Anyway, <laughs> or that those particular ones. Anyway.
1: Yes, I mean it's going to be. I guess you must have that. Is it more nerve-wracking than releasing an album? This book, because it's so much about you. Oh and- gosh, yes, because yeah, it, it's because it's not really like
0: an album. It's like it's like a, a lyric book. Because because an album would would have input from other people. This is just me. It's all been on my shoulders and. Uh, I mean, it's essentially a first draft as well because I sort of pre-edited it in my head, um, and and then I was so late delivering it. I didn't really beyond beyond some 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 very last minute kind of some word substitutions. I didn't have time to rewrite it, so it, the raw bits will be very raw. You know. Yes. Um, but, but so far touch wood, touch wicker um the the response from the few people that have read it's been amazing and um but but but, but to be honest like, you know no matter what the reviewers say it it's kind of my liverpool friends and ex band mates whose opinions carry the weight with me you know <laughs> did you think sorry go
1: on. I was going to say because you were talking about sort of having to sort of quickly finish it and not having to mm. re-edit you know on those management studies things they have these you know you do these tests and you get sort of graded and then you get told what sort of person you are and obviously oh, yeah. we all go mm, not sure but then you've lies the truth sometimes is a bit are you somebody who you wouldn't call yourself a completer a finisher you know finishing that project is do you like oh. the more than you like finishing it
0: yeah yes that's very perceptive of you um yeah it's not that i don't like finishing i can't i can't i don't know how to finish it it's because it's ongoing because life's ongoing i don't know when to draw a full stop so i mean it almost killed me to so my book ends in um uh with, with moving to glasgow two years ago um But that killed me because I really wanted to bring it right up to date. But I thought, no, I need to, I need to, I need to stop. And that's a good place to stop. You know, it was huge for me leaving Liverpool. And, um, and, um, yeah, something kind of remarkable happened as well. Just, just before, just before we moved, a, a, so in Liverpool, Lord derby has got an estate. So it's a walled estate of many, many acres of forest and stuff, you know, proper old landed gentry nonsense, you know, and um, with deer on it. Anyway, so a, a, a white stag, impossibly rare, you know, like an albino stag, escaped from the estate and was... Spotted running through the streets of Bootle, which is like quite a traditionally a kind of very working class part of Liverpool. It's only a couple of miles away from my our home there. And um and mythologically speaking, a, a white stag is is uh, is a very important omen. So it's, it's a port of doom, actually, if to kill it. And what happened. As soon as they report someone reported the stag running through the industrial estates of Bootle, they sent this police marksman out and shot it dead. And I just thought that was a sign. <laughs> because I'm mad, I thought that was a sign to, that's time for me to leave Liverpool. But it's also a sign for the end of monarchy. It means the monarch's gonna die. Mythologically speaking. Yes. And lo and behold, what happened when we moved to Scotland? The Queen of England died. Um, uh, Revolutionary Spirit was re-released as a seven-inch and went to number one in the indie chart. How mad is that? And I just said, "Well, that's that's how to end my book. That's exactly where to end my book. That's 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 it."
1: Yes. Yeah, that's quite quite something, isn't it? Yes, God, that's and it's also you know being a sensitive vegetarian. It's a horrible thought of someone shooting a beautiful animal. It's always mm.
0: oh, there was it was, there was no need for it. There was no need for it. They could have they could have they could have tranquilized it.
1: Yes, I know. There you go. Yeah. Can you sort of go in with the book because because mm. there's emotional moments, especially your childhood and your parents, and you describe your you know. Your growing up here, and also the the passing of your mother, which is really beautifully told and incredibly sad. Did you feel? How did you cope going through all these really big stages of life? Did was that quite hard work?
0: Yes, it, it was. But I just it, but life is hard work, isn't it? It's not just my life. So like everyone, everyone, you know, everyone has to you know everyone has to be crucified in this life. They 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 can. They can uh, move on, you know. That's my belief, anyway. And um, yeah, my mum, my mum was a huge influence on me because my dad was was. Although I loved him, on a knowing of me, he couldn't say it. He never said it because um, he was he he'd been sort of raised in a in a home for little boys, um, so he was never shown any affection. So he, could, he so he couldn't show any affection you know, apart from you know you buy me nice presents on Christmas and stuff um so my dad was a sort of um my dad was a w- w- would literally say to me um you'll never amount to anything you'll never amount to anything in one ear well my mom who was his polar opposite she's a she was a free spirit in fact The only thing written on the mum's grave, apart from her name, is Doris Simpson, free spirit. She doesn't even have the dates on (laughs) because that's who she was. Um, So she was a kind of, a she was too old to be a hippie, but she was a hippie, like a proto hippie. She was an artist. She was a member of the spiritualist church. So she was in my other area going, you have unlimited potential, Paul. And between the two was quite a weird place to be. Yes, and um, so I, w- I was. I was. I was. I was hypersensitive as a as a, as a child. God, it sounded like Morris or someone. <laughs> 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 I was. I was hypersensitive as a child. So so if some if, you, you, if things really went deep with me, if someone hurt me, it really went deep, and it still does. Really, I, I, you can't really change that. So when my dad died first, you know, and I was expecting to that to be okay, but it actually killed me when my dad died because it was unfinished business. I thought we I thought there'd always be this the talk, you know, where we'd yeah, oh, I love you, I love you, son. Oh, I love you too, dad. You know, it never happened, you know. Um, so I I adored my mother. When she she died. I felt bereft, but but weirdly, it was my dad's my dad's passing that that that, that really affected me for mm. some reason. But that's just like I don't know. Let me a psychologist to unpack that one. Um, but uh, yeah, so I so I am aware of I am aware of 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 that the 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 weight that I ascribed to. Oh being kind of ejected from my own band, for example, and the what whilst once mark one. I can't trust that be, be as I say, I was I was so sensitive, it, it, it absolutely destroyed me. Um but but then I get destroyed if they change the wrapping on a crunchy, you know, <laughs> as, as well without my permission, you know, that annoys me, you know.
1: Because obviously it's kind of strange, isn't it, because we all remember the spinal tap, you know, mark one, mark two, so the yeah. wild, the swans is, the wild swans, not... The uh, the ones from New York, I mean, mm. it's kind of interesting that it had such an intense and sm- uh, short period in that early eighties. You did the John Peel show, didn't you, you- oh yes it, it it was it was very quick. I mean, we took a while to get going. We probably sort of
0: formed in nineteen eighty, but we didn't really get it together um, until late eighty one early eighty two and by the summer of eighty two it was over. You know, just as it was getting interesting, the Jensen session, the Peel session, single out tour with the bunny men, it was over, um, and uh, I, and as you know, I I then started working with the Brody in a, in a in a in a in a project that I I am ashamed to, to 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 say I I kind of abandoned in the in the middle of it. Um, but it was only because I believed that I come to Earth with a mission. The wild swans was my mission, and 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 I failed the mission. So when, so which is why I reformed with the with the ex members to try and complete the mission, and then we blew it again.
1: Yes, but then, but then, uh, but in between that that chapter, mm, the mm. band don't disappear do they they form another band mm. and that and in Liverpool as well with but with a different singer thankfully with a different name I mean did you feel tortured at that stage
0: oh I was I was devastated uh because I mean it wasn't just that it wasn't just that they'd taken there's a couple of songs that I'd had a hand in that became well one became a the biggest radio hit of 1983 you know um it's not a secret i've told the story many times now i think i told you that you were the first person i told actually because if you <laughs> if you remember when last time we spoke i'd i'd been to the pub in the afternoon i'd completely forgotten we were doing <laughs> we were doing your podcast so by the time i got on the mic loose lips and chips you know it all came up uh, but since then i've I told that story many times, and 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 most importantly in 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 my book. Um, so um, no, I was devastated because I couldn't get away from it either. Not only the the, the, the you know the, some of my music was, was was coming out the radio uncredited. Um, I felt they'd stolen my whole aesthetic. You know this the sort of wartime sepia tone, nostalgic. You know, uh, through Raphaelite, William blake uh, just a little bit had been stolen from. him. So, well, who am I? If this, if this band and this new singer are, 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 are taking that, who am I? What's left? You know, um, no, I was haunted. I was absolutely haunted, Like I couldn't actually talk about it. I couldn't tell anyone about it because lots of people said to me, "Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you see a lawyer, or why didn't you? You know." And I, I was just, I couldn't speak. I was, I was, I was just haunted. I didn't tell my my partner at the time. I didn't tell my mom. They're just like, "What's happening with the band?" And I just go, well, "I don't know, nothing." You know, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it.
1: Yes, did um, you? Because, because you, you, you know, in the book and and you're the way you come over. You've got a real cultured side of you, did you intimidate the other members of the band? No, no,
0: no, not not
1: at all because um,
0: uh, Jed Quinn, the, the keyboard player who, who who I kind of started the band with you know, we, Jed and I sort of had been writing to each other, he was up in, in Edinburgh at Art College, we started writing to each other um, about forming a band. Jed was more cultured than I, he, he had no rock music in his collection whatsoever but as far as I knew, it was all Elgar and Delius, and um, we bonded over literature. We both loved um, the same books, really. And um, so, no, no, not really. I wouldn't say that. Um, and and um, Jeremy Kelly, the guitarist that, 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 that um, I got in, he was he was a lot younger than us. So he was he he might be slightly intimidated by. Oh, Intimidated is the wrong word. I think he really looked up to us. You know, he was a bit of, he was a sort of a, a sponge and so, soaking up everything we said and did. And, um, yeah, I, I, but also I didn't really, I was very shy. I was very shy in those days and I didn't, um, I think I came across slightly aloof. So people got the wrong idea of me. They thought I was unfriendly or aloof or something. I just was, I was just quite shy so I didn't didn't engage with people to discuss my interests very much um, right yes yeah
1: and did you I mean what was the atmosphere like when you had the meeting with you know Mark too did you all come together and meet in a
0: yeah we, well do you know what this is what's frustrating is it this is this is a story that I left out in the book and it's it's one of four stories I, I left out of the book, just not not through, not intentionally. I just oh, I was so disorganized. I sent I sent three stories to so my editors called Tom Seabrook, but I also know another Tom who's an engineer, and I, I actually sent the stories to the wrong Tom, and <laughs> he didn't get back to me. He probably thought, why why is this guy sending me these stories? So I didn't I wasn't aware of it. So Jawbone Press, my my publishers, just didn't even know that these, about these stories. So so um, uh so so I'm now thinking about maybe doing a second book to get these stories in because they're actually sort of the best, you know some big stories in it. Um, um so yes, we met of the three. What happened was a a company called um, Renaissance Records were going to put out a Wild Swans double compilation album on vinyl of the Jensen Sessions, Appeal Sessions, Janice Long Sessions, Rev Spirit, and a few bits and bobs. Um, but in order to do that, we need to, we all needed to agree upon the terms. So we met at a, a, a kind of mutual friend called Nick Halliwell's place um, in Exeter, and I had the contracts for the, for this record. So we met to to sign the contracts together. Now, uh, for what, I don't know what I was thinking. Somehow I managed to get on that train to meet them and and leave the contracts at home. So it was a pointless exercise, but we went down anyway, and Nick was a very gracious host, and he's also a bit of a wine connoisseur. So he was about eight bottles of vintage wine breathing on the table when we arrived so we all had far too much to drink and I think the other guys were quite suspicious of that I hadn't I'd forgotten the contract so I think they didn't really believe me how how could I possibly forget the contracts? that's the reason well whatever the truth is I just forgot the contract and um, so we got horribly drunk and then of course the 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 the, 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 the subject of the original kind of why well, I, I now refer to that 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 uh, that meeting is the last supper because it, it was it was it was it was a huge night, you know. Um and words were said and shotgun kind of shotguns were were, were placed at temples and stuff, um metaphorically. And um yeah, I mean we're we're, we're, we're we're still friends. We're still friends, particularly are very close friends and uh, but but Gemini is still friends you know we we still we're still we still view the past from completely different camera angles and i was i was i wanted to, to explain to him because he you know have i have tackled him and 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 that whole period quite hard, but only as a fraction of how hard they tackled me at the time um but it's you know, we were kids. We we were kids, really. You know, of course, when when we had no emotional um, intelligence whatsoever. You know, we didn't talk. We didn't explain ourselves. Uh, and so, uh, you know, my my book is my camera angle, and and that's all it is. It's not yeah, Gwen's camera angle. It's not and Kelly's camera they can write their own books or do their own interviews um, uh, it's just how i felt at the time and the whole book is that really because that's all all we all any of us can do really is 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 you know unless you unless you unless you're writing dispassionate overview of a period in history or something. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, and even then you you haven't got access to everything, you know. It's only ever going to be a kind of approximation of the truth, you know. Um so I'm I'm not pretending my book is a is is a this is what happened. It's just my perception
1: yes, because in the book, because you mentioned when I think to your partner that you were going to work again with these the the, the musicians from part mm. one um mark one she Mm. was a bit horrified and you you know it's like but what have they done to you did you have a it was almost a bit christ-like wasn't it you know these are the people that are going to kiss you in the garden
0: (laughs) yeah well yeah i mean you know i don't i don't even really want to um um dissect that too much because i i can't Again, you know, I I can't speak, I can only speak for me. What I saw happening was a, was a kind of a complete kind of, a, 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 yeah, a Judas-like betrayal, you know, but what I have to take into account is that I used to suffer from depression, like serious depression. It was never diagnosed because I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know I was depressed. I just I just used to fall off cliffs regularly, uh, fall into great chasms of despair. But it, it never occurred to me that it was a kind of chemical imbalance. Or a, I just thought you know, I had my reasons, you know why 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 I was low. So some of my behaviour was as a result of my depression, and some of my reactions to their reactions were as a result of my depression and I didn't share it with them so they didn't know I was depressed they just thought I was acting irrationally and against the interests of the band yes so I would go missing sometimes on them I wouldn't communicate I'd disappear and in the case in, in the actual the the the, the moment of the, the, the great betrayal i'd been away i'd, I'd taken myself off to amsterdam for a week just to get away from to try and break the cycle of, of 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 dark thoughts i just thought i need to get i can't talk to anyone i need to get away so i took myself off to amsterdam on, on used to be able to buy these very cheap tickets you, you know to, to europe 26 quid any 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 train bus or tram you know um, and, and a ferry, uh, and I'd find a find a call like a, a dormitory type hostel to stay in, and just just, and then I'd come back when I felt better. Yes, you know, that, uh, which is what I did. But I came back to a bank statement because the Wildsland had a bank account. Um, with we had about three hundred quid in there, which we must have got the session fee or something that we were going to use for equipment or something, and and it had been emptied. So I rang. Jerry Kelly, as he was then, now uh, he's snuggled gently and and just said, Well, why have you closed the bank account? And he said, To buy Peter Coyle some shoes. And I said, Peter Coyle from the Jazz Babies. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Why have you used our money to buy Peter Coyle some shoes? <laughs> he said, because he's a new singer. And I was just like, What the hell is going on? you know. Um so from but from Jen's perspective. The singer of the band he's joined and put a lot of work into is is behaving very kind of you know flaky non-committal not talking, not saying anything so you know i understand his his camera angle a bit more now uh, he's still it was still it's still a bit unnecessary the way he did it um and he he kind of he he sort of told jed quinn and other guys in the band that i had told him i didn't want to be in the band anymore which was just not true right he just wanted action taking he want he didn't want to see it all die so he wanted to carry on and, and and thought that was you know the band needed a leader he needed someone to take charge uh whereas he didn't know that i was kind of back feeling good <laughs> You know. Um,
1: Yeah, so, you know, yeah. Yes, it was kind of a, because talking of recording, you'd had that experience, and you mentioned in the book, the famous Dale Griffith talking and questioning some of your (laughs) lyrics as well. Yeah. That must have been, because there's um, it's you're very different. But Morrissey also has moments in the studio where someone questions his lyrics or mentions a mm-hmm. lyric. And he just, I don't know if you read Morrissey's book, but you know, he he's very explicit, you know, everything is just a, a great sort of like another 10 pages of him describing how, how dare someone question <laughs> my lyric. Did you did you feel, you know, with Dale Griffiths, was that s- such a disappointment that he'd sort of questioned some of your lines? Yeah. Well, yes, because I loved
0: Mot the Hoople as well. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd um, i had four Mot the Hoople albums, so um, I mean, they weren't one of my favourite bands, but 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 I I I, I liked I like them, you know, and um, yeah, but I, it was it wasn't just that; it was his whole attitude. He 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 had a very um, you guys can't play your instruments, you know, how the hell have you got a recording kind of deal. I think it. Was, and I think it was very common with those sort of BBC engineers. You know, they'd all been in bands and played the dues in an earlier, you know, a, an earlier time. Um, so they thought we were all just chancers, really, post punk chancers, and we were to a degree. Um, yes. But, I think but I think
1: most people I've interviewed their John Peel session with Dale Griffith was bad. It wasn't a good experience, you know. Yeah. And, and though well, he got a great think... sound and he got a great kind of recording, they they found it quite hard work.
0: Well, he he would do things like in our case, he he recorded um, flange on on the bass without us knowing. So while we're in the live room, we just play the song. We can't hear any flange on the bass, but we go in and listen to it back when when we're mixing, when, it, when Dale's mixed it. And and I said, what's that horrible kind of, why's the bass got all that kind of flange? We sound like Japan. Can you take it off, please? And he said, no, I've recorded it to tape. And I was like, well, can we go back in and re-record it? Because I can't, that's not our sound. You know, we go, no, time's money. Come on, next track. And I thought, "How God, how dare you make a decision like that without our permission, you know, Um, so, but don't speak Bill of the Dead and all that, you know, he was a great drummer and a great band, but, um, but, but, but yes, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like my lyrics being scrutinized at all because it was weird at that time. I didn't like, I write very differently now. I really think about what I'm doing, but when I was when I was sort of twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, I, I I just it just came out from through the pen. I was just I just knew it just all came out, and I think God, oh, this is mad. This stuff I'm like, this sounds like some Old Testament stuff. And <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't think about it. I didn't think about its meaning. I didn't think about anything. It's only years later, rereading them, they make a kind of abstract sense then there's a sort of there's, there's something consistent in all of them that there's a sort of a, um, a Blakeian reach I call it there's a kind of what I never liked about about rock and roll apart from, I don't like the name rock and roll but um, what I never liked about rock and roll was the shortcut that bands take Nine times out of ten, a band will dress in black, sing kind of down and negative lyrics, you know, give themselves a kind of cool but dark name. And it's a sort of shortcut. It's like a sort of passport through. You you go leap ahead four steps because you've got this kind of rock credibility thing. I always, I never liked that. I always, I always thought, why, why can't you do euphoric music like classical music, like, like like Elgar or Wagner? Why can't you do uplifting music with with uplifting lyrics without it being perceived as Cliff Richard or, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's very hard to do, and that's why people don't do it. It's really hard to do. get away with it
1: you know i mean very few bands get away with with i think i think it would sound like christian rock if it was quite optimistic well
0: exactly and that is exactly how we were perceived at one point you know not 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 by everyone but a, a, a few a few uh record reviews i seem to remember people thinking a bit a bit like you too when they started, were called Christian band and I was thinking, no, 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 you're completely missing the point. This isn't. I'm not. I'm not a kind of god botherer. This is just. This is coming from my subconscious, and it's about my childhood. I went to. I went to a 200 year old. So I was born in Heighton in Liverpool, in a in a, in a, a very short working class, but in Liverpool. But at the age of three, we moved out to the Green Belt. You know, it was a housing estate being It was just farms, you know, uh, but they built a housing estate. We were one of the first families to buy a house there. and um, um and of course, my dad was away all the time. so it was it was weird. So well, I was enrolled in the local church school, the only school that was there, it was this this sandstone two hundred year old building with old te- like really old teachers uh, and and you would you would have assembly every morning with hymns and bible readings we'd go to the church next door and um you know there's pictures of kind of religious pictures that uh, dotted around and stuff uh, and because i was so kind of open because my mom had taught me to be open to you know she she, she told me to you know she she believed in the afterlife and ghosts and stuff. She wasn't conventional religious at all, but she was spiritual. It all went in all the all these crucifixion hymns, these, you know, there is a green hill far away. Oh, yes, crucified. You know, I remember that word crucified. I was I could feel the nails going in when they sang it. I hated it. And um uh I, I just didn't know what it was, but it all went in and then it all came out 15 years later when I was in a band. It, All this stuff came to the surface without, I didn't question it because that was, they were the words that were coming out. And um, yeah, it was, it it was misconstrued a little bit. Um, And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised it was, you know, even, even later on when I was working with Ian Brody and Kerr, you know what the song was called and Bible, no Bible dreams, um, Flaming Sword, Bible reference, you know, whatever possessed you, you know, again, it's, it's a sort of a, a, uh, uh that whole notion of possession was huge for me um yes. I, I i was terrified i didn't know about i had never heard of possession but i was so open-minded to the supernatural in the afterlife because of my mom and the book she would read and she would read to me extracts from uh mm-hmm. that that went in like a pretty spike through my brain i was just like oh my god uh, uh, you know it, it if that is possible, if it's possible to be possessed by a, a demon, it's going to happen to me if it's going to happen to anyone. So I didn't even <laughs> – I went to see The Exorcist on my own, you know, like an idiot when I was 15. They let me in. And – um I, I didn't sleep for about two years afterwards, you know, because I, I was terrified that I would be possessed. You
1: know? Yes. But did she also go for ley lines and earth energy? Was that also part y- of her? Yeah,
0: yeah, all that stuff. Um, or oh, what was the book she used She had a very, a book that's now very famous.
1: there's John Michel New View over Atlantis or I don't know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that. Um, she had She had an amazing library. That my sister's now got a out library at home of of um new and uh well would have been a,
1: Did all gone Energy come to your life at all? Did the, the... Yeah, Wilhelm Wilhelm? Leich, um yes, that oh, what's what's his son's book called? Can you remember?
0: Um, no. Yes, I mean, not he didn't come into my life directly that I'm aware of, but but I did read his son's book, which absolutely fascinated me. It's the same book that Kate Bush wrote *Cloud Busting* from, actually. Yes, I, I wish I could remember the name of it. It's a fantastic read. Um, all that stuff, all those, all all that, any 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 of the classic sort of new new what we now call new age texts. My mum had way before it was a thing. There was no yeah. new age m- movement when my mum started all this stuff. So she she was buying she was buying a lot of books secondhand, um, Madame Bravatsky and you know real real World War One spiritualism stuff. Did you, one, did
1: one, Al- did Alastair Crowley sort of slip in the back door at all?
0: N- not that I know of. Not that I remember, because she she ha- she had a she had a book called Psychic Self De- Defense. By Deon Fortune, so she she knew she was representing the light. She wasn't flirting with a neutral thing that could be black or white, or good or bad. She she was she always kind of was representing a light, and 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 she exuded a lot of light, and she was repelled by people that absorbed light. You know, they her opposite, negative people um so you know all that stuff went in i was like a complete sponge and i mean she meant well but i sometimes wonder if that was a little damaging to me as well particularly later when i started experimenting with with lsd and stuff um because when you're when you're kind of flying on on a micro dot for, for triple quadruple strength acid trip you know this your brain is your 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 best friend and your worst enemy. And if you start thinking about demons and things, so when you're tripping, you're going to be in real trouble, you know, of possession and <laughs> things like that, yes. <laughs> which is what, which is exactly what happened to, you know. Um, but I, I always had bad trips when I took trips as well, um, which make, I begs the question, why did I take them again? But I did, you know,
1: um, yeah. Yes, because as as the eighties progressed, and then that period where you were on Sire Records, this is mm. where because on in the book it's there is a line, isn't there, about sort of wanting to just sabotage the tape. And um... oh e- e- yes, because
0: this is a, this is common with me as well. So I ha- I have a kind of mental image of the project I'm working on before we before it begins. I so usually get a title first for an album or. A I do I do artwork as well, but the title comes first, you yeah. know, and it has to be right. I get the title right, and um, so the title came to me in a dream, bringing home the ashes. And I'm so naive, and I'm so I don't do sport. I I never did. The only sport I ever liked was archery because it was just me and a target, and I was quite yeah. good at it. So I liked archery. And um, even though I didn't go to a posh school, we did archery for some reason on Friday afternoon, or, or as an option. But I hated team sports. I wasn't good at, at them. Didn't want to be good at them. Um, so it didn't occur to me for a minute that the title "Bring Home the Ashes" might people might perceive as about the cricket. And it was only when we were recording the album with our producer Paul Harder, and he went, "Oh, oh it's great that you've uh, it's great, great Paul that you're." Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's one of one of the few examples of 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 a cricket reference in rock and roll. I was like, see, on about about I didn't know what the Ashes was. I had no idea what the Ashes were. and I just thought, "Oh no, oh my God, that's like the shittest thing I can imagine." Someone referencing cricket, you know, in <laughs> an album title, and um, so so that didn't help. But also, he. I mean he was a nice guy, but he wasn't the right producer for us. He'd done um, he done rattlesnakes by Low Cole. So we were getting a bit of pressure off Sire, too. You know, it was, it was, that, it was that, that 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 uh tipping point in the 80s were were um, the example I keep citing is, is Green from Spriti Bellity. He'd done that wonderful Skank bologna EP with 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 the recipe on how to release a DIY record. And it was, very much, you know, homemade project Xerox sleeve. And then he comes back with would and absolute and this shiny Arif Mardin produced big snare drums. He's got makeup on, on, on top of the pops. But because he was so credible as an artist, we all went, Oh, oh, it's okay to be. This is the new thing. Production yes. isn't a bad thing, you know. And we got. So so Paul Hardiman was very much of that thing. He he himself was moving into that. I think Lloyd Cole was the last recording producer, just about got away with it, with, 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 with not being too, too overproduced. Whereas um so so I was already, I was I didn't also Jed Quinn or player, had left us sort of um, not through any acrimony, just because he, he he was a painter and he wanted to pursue his his art career. That was burning in him. So he left the group. It was frustrating, but we didn't mind. But, but the dynamic changed because he was the classical influence on us. Like, um, so instead of recording all the songs we already had written with Jed up to date, we felt like they were a bit old fashioned now because things were changing. So we wrote new material mostly uh without Jed so they weren't coming from a piano bait uh they weren't really piano led coming f- from Jed's keyboard chords. they were coming from Jim's guitar parts and, and little bits of ideas I had um so and that's just the way it was going music post-punk music was or, or music was straightening up Thatcher was queen you know Greed was okay. Was was being kind of was, was suddenly it was okay to be greedy and look, looking at the money, you know, and, and we we streamlined the sound. Excuse me, streamlined the sound a bit. But I took my eye off the ball lyrically as well. My lyrics that started to change, and there were I wasn't kind of it's the wrong word, but I wasn't channeling them like I had been. I was thinking about them too much, but trying to keep them in the same Venn diagram, and I found myself writing quite bombastic lyrics that were a bit broad. Um, I, I, and then it was only when we were down in London recording the album that I, I realised that I didn't like it. I think i think I'd, I think I'd describe it in the book as somewhere in trading up from an indie label to a major label. The Welsh ones forgot to be remarkable you know we forgot to be remarkable and um so in the middle of the record you know there's probably some guide vocals on the guitars were all lovely and shiny and that we 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 were also persuaded to by Paul Hardiman to to get rid of our drummer which I'm embarrassed now we went along with him on that I can't believe we did that he just didn't think he was good enough but he was he was he was more than good enough he was exciting you know and um so we ended up with i don't know how this happened we ended up with van morrison's drummer peter van hook uh, with these huge you know spending all day on a snare drum sound you know all that nonsense and um, and you know it's a common story a lot of good bands from the early 80s delivered poor debut albums on major labels um, so I got very depressed I was living down we were living down in, well not living down we were staying down in London for the duration of the, of the album and um, anyway one one lunchtime, Paul had gone out to feed the the, 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 the meter on his car Jam had gone off to Mark Spencer's to buy some lunch and I was left alone with the multitracks and Paul was doing a safety copy and I stood, I swear to God, I stood over these the, these tapes with a, in those days, you, you, you would still edit tape with a razor blade. So yes. there's these razor blades right next to the tape. And I'm thinking, all I've got to do is hold this razor blade against the tape. And the whole thing's wiped, you know, that it's all lost. We'd have to start again and get it right next time but, but I, I, I I thought too long. I was thinking, okay, I might I might if am I might be able to get away with shredding one of the multi-track types of the album, but there's two machines linked together. How could there couldn't be an action with two. So I, I mean, I could be prosecuted like, you know, we've spent a lot of money. singer destroys t- I, you know I just i and then. While I was standing over it, the door opened and Paul Hardiman walked in, you know, and I'm like, shit, you know, that's that's my, my chance is <laughs> gone. But I wanted to, and if I if I could go back in time now, I would do it, whatever, and suffer the consequences. I mean, what's the reality? I wouldn't have gone to prison. I'd have just probably had some, been saddled with some huge debt that I'd have to, you know, pay. But I don't know what, what it would have been.
1: Well, it's a, I do remember doing an interview with a member of the... It's immaterial. And I think they went to America to record their album and they had a member of Talking Heads and they didn't like what was happening. So they went along with it during the day. And when that met, that person went off for the evening, they'd stay behind and, and use the equipment to record the album they wanted. So they had to... <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a bonkers story, but it was like, well, we've we got to have to keep going with this lie, but we're not going to yeah. use the, the material well, that... You know, well, within...
0: you you know what I'm thinking. That's another Liverpool band, and, and um John and Jarvis, friends of mine. So that 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 might be that might be a that might be a bit of a Liverpool thing as well. You know, just like a kind of, um, yeah. But uh, I do I mean, remember
1: it's... I do remember bands like the the Railway Children and mm. uh, the Red Guitars, mm. who both who both did you know good albums to begin with and then they got into a major label and it was just like actually we don't like this anymore and just went let's just we're just going to give it up and that was kind of the end of the bands and i think a lot of indie but a lot of indie bands really enjoyed that first album or two and then the major was just like no we hate it they're telling us what to do we don't want to do it and and we yeah were- in,
0: the, the the trouble was you see signing to sire we had a two album fixed deal and that's like a holy grail it's like the coolest major league with be. beyonce was dying personally signed us you know, he talking, you know even those. um but the reality was you know we we had very little control of what we were doing really and um yeah, I, I was becoming increasingly unhappy, and, and when the album appeared, we got a, we got a really bad review. I remember at the NME or something, and I thought, well, I can't be upset about it because it's right. It's the we've made it, you know. But, but but I feel a bit bad saying all this because the the trouble is, yeah, a lot of people really love that Wild Swan's record, you know, especially if they they're younger than me, they. Particularly in America, and North America, he got hammered on uh, college radio. So for a lot of people, and in the Philippines, a lot of people, that was their college years album. So I feel bad saying I don't really like it, um, but I don't. I can't. I can't help that. You know. And then, and then, of course, Gemini fell out again. So he went back to reform the load to seats as I did an, a second one I, there was, there was, we were contracted to do two albums and I did the second last one's album on my own but I was so depressed by the, the 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 fact that we'd blown it again the band had kind of blown it again that I I didn't want anything to do with all my previous influences you know everything that the wildest ones had ever been about ever stood for was dead to me so I, I just did this kind of complete anomaly this bubblegum pop record with with kind of not quite nonsense lyrics but but impersonal lyrics for the most part um Spaceflower. Be, spacefire yeah i couldn't i couldn't um I, 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 that's just what came out i couldn't i couldn't talk to myself go paul is this a good idea that was what i was going to do it just it was, i was compelled to do it and as luck would have it i did some demos for it and i had to so I, I had to have size. okay i'd broken contract actually by getting rid of jerry jim kelly um i'd broken contract but amazingly seymour messaged me or phoned me i can't remember probably phoned me in those days um and said Hey Paul, I just heard you demos, you know, and I was braced for like, what kind of shit is this? You know? And he said, uh, I, I like it, I like it. It's fresh, you know, it's good. Let's do it. You know. So he put he put it out in America, but it went unreleased in the UK for 18 years. 18 years. So imagine, you know, I'm working to manifest this thing. And it it's like Stillborn, you know, in in you know, it was great. It was out in America, but I I didn't get to see it. I didn't get get to go over there and promote it. Only. Um, so i it, it. was horrible. It was a horrible feeling to have to have made this record that that you know, although it's an anomaly, I still I, I rather liked it. You know, it was it it worked in the If it had come out. When it was recorded in the UK, I think it would have done okay, you know. Uh, but as it happened, it didn't come out for eighteen years, and then it was as a kind of part of a double album retrospective thing, you know. Um, so that didn't do my mental health much good either, you know.
1: No, but then you have a huge kind of musical change of direction in the nineties.
0: Yes, well, I did a couple. Of, I actually, I did a couple of demos, um, which were. More in the Wild Swans' vein, and they came out last year as this Astral Girl EP on Record Store Day. Um, but, but but again, they never came out. They they came out last year, you know, thirty years after recording. Um, yeah, I, I I literally I was so upset by what had happened. I lost my record deal. I lost my publishing deal. I didn't want anything to do with guitars. I didn't want anything to do with the Wild Swans or the Chisel, which was anything any of my past. And I couldn't sing. I decided that I couldn't. I literally couldn't sing. I had nothing to say, nothing to say using words. So I started doing these sort of long, 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 like 18 minute long, trout Rocky kind of home demos. And um, Will Sergeant, as ever, uh, sort of appears like a knight in shining armor. And, he, and I played them to him, and he goes, he was fantastic. Should put these out. I said, oh, yeah, I wish. And he said, um, should talk to Dave Battersby at Oprah Records. I put some stuff out with him. Do you want me to have a word with him? So he rings he rings Dave, and then Dave rings me 10 minutes later and goes, I'll put them out. So we put out two 10-inch singles. And, and, and in 19, this is in 1996, 1997, when CD is king. No one is buying vinyl. We decide to do 10-inch format final singles so we did 500 each of those they 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 did well and then um pete Kember, sonic boom from spaceman three heard them and got in touch and said uh, these are great you know um do you want to do an album for for my label space age so while Oka records are compiling a kind of a day a, 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 a sky ray sorry the project was called sky ray but the sky ray album out of the the, the A and B sides of the singles and two other tracks. Um, I start recording a, a. I think what's the most perverse thing I can possibly do for space Edge recording? So I think I think P, P wanted me to do like a ten track album of kind of really cool crowd-rocky, you know, singles. And they gave him one 73 minute long track called Womb, and um, it, it's. I used to get when it came out. I used to get. Um, it was in the days of MySpace, I used to get messages of, kind of kids smoking weed saying, hey, me and my friends are listening to Womb. We we managed 43 minutes tonight, as if it was an assault course rather than a pleasure, you know. <laughs> yeah, we nearly got through it tonight. Um, uh, but I did that with Henry Priestman, from, who was in the yachts and... Uh, and it, it's a material, ironically, early days, and the and, uh, Christians, because he was a mate, and he recorded at his house in, in Anglesey, uh, and I couldn't have done them without him, really. And um, and then it, we, did, we, we did another one, uh, which was a sort of concept album called Mind Lagos, and, and, and it's, you know, when you stop trying to be, well, not that I ever pursued success, but when you really don't even think about it, that's when it happens. So what's happened is I started getting picked up by the dance magazines, like Mix Mag, Because, of course, we were into the kind of rave and post-rave sort of scene by then. Yes. So they started putting my Skyway tracks on the cover CDs. And then as a result of that, like Yoji Yamamoto got in touch with the fashion designer in Japan, saying, oh, well, can I use your song for the fashion show I'm doing? And then Match of the Day started playing. A Skyway tracker for goal of the month or so, and I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" Um, I mean, it didn't. Some money came in, but it wasn't very much, really, in, in the scheme of things. Um, but that, so that was weird. But also, you know, um, that's exactly when I decided to, to knock it on the head. Yes, when people, when people started, what, what 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 horrified me was that. I, I think people. I was being written about in the dance magazines as if I was a dance act, and that was my motivation. I was part of a scene. I was thinking, oh no, that's, I'm not really interested in that. I'm not interested in the dance scene. I don't want to be perceived as that. So I, <laughs> so I so it. You know, decided to. So, to, so, 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 last, lasted exactly ten years. It lasted from nineteen ninety six to two thousand right. and six. That's when I started getting itchy again, thinking, "Oh, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should complete the mission finally with the wild swans." You know, um, but I didn't. Get, I
1: didn't go back to my my old partners. I recruited a new group because it sort of it picks up again September. 2009 doesn't it you you mentioned that <laughs> yeah classic, whistle down the wind which is still one of those it, it, films you and one watched when you were probably i was too young to watch it and, it, it, and become yes yeah. <laughs> um
0: yeah well oh so okay so that's interesting so so that means what was i doing in those missing years i did a fellowship at, at uh, john moore's university um thanks to to a guy called colin fallows who, who who liked what i was doing. Um, um yeah this is me so years i can't account for those missing years i don't know what i did between sky Ray and well yes i can i had a son that's what happened i was raising my son my son was born in 1997 uh, so i was raising him um that's what i was doing and um but then i think i i was echoing the bunny men's one of the co-managers PZ Gordon's a friend of mine and he got in touch and he said oh Paul I'm getting um I'm getting weird emails off this guy from the Brian Jones town massacre saying he's a big fan of yours and can he can you come to his gig he's playing in Liverpool next week you know I'm that's weird you know what's that all about so I arranged to meet this guy Ricky Mamie um after the gig, but I, as I as I drove outside the venue looking to park, I could see him sitting outside talking to an old friend of mine from the early eighties called Mike Mooney, who's a musician, an unsung musician who'd been in the psychedelic Furs live band, played with the Bunnymen, Julian Cope, Spiritualized, you know. And um, so I went, and said hello, and then revealed my plan that, you know, without really inviting those guys and a room plan that I was going to do a new Wild Swans album. And Ricky said, Hey man, you know, you need any help with that? You know, and said, God, Mike should, you know, Mike should get should get Mike on that. And that's so, sort of that's what happened. So I already had two two new guitarists. Um and then um yeah I just put a band together, got got a fantastic drummer who who was who'd been in a heartthrobs with Peter Freitas's uh, sister. Um who and and Pete was his role model, so that was a good fit. And then at some point I thought, we need a bass player. So I rang my old friend Les Pattinson, the original Echo and the Bunnyman bassist, who'd been in retirement for 10 years. I mean, not retirement because he wanted his mother had been ill, so he'd left the band. And um not expecting him to say yes at all. Said, oh, hi, Liz. You know not want to play some bass for me? And he said, "Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll play bass And so we recorded uh, a new album called Swinter for Hundred Years." Um, yes, and it's a, a
1: it's a it's a great album. Was um you mentioned Pete there? Mm. Was his was his sister Rachel who was in the Heartthrobs? Mm. Yeah. Ah, that's one of those yeah. bands that have gone completely missing, and also the members. Are they still about? Members of the heart throbs, yeah. Well, I'm still friends with um,
0: with the drummer um, Steve Basick. Um, he, 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 he was he was a wild swan, but he, he, sadly he he suffered a, a, a stroke um, that he's fully recovered from. But it was just we were just he 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 speed healed himself to get to come back on the road with us it had only been six months after his stroke, and we weren't prepared to take the risk on his health. You know, right. I was—we were just terrified. So, 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 so we 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 um we got we got a a, a young drummer called Stuart Merlin, that had been recommended to us, who who was uh, training to be a GP, and he he was amazing. So anyway, so I took the, and by this point, I found out that we were big in the Philippines. The Wild Swans were, and, and I was a, 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 a bit of a pop star in the Philippines. So I took the whole band out there, and that's that's also in the book. Um, in fact, that's how, that's how the book starts, um, because typical of my look, which is the opening line of the book, typical of my look, the Wild Swans have landed in Manila during a Category 4 super typhoon. So the the gigs are, are threatened because this is this is this is big. You know the Philippines are battered by typhoons constantly, really, or every, you know every year or two. But this was one of those once in forty years super typhoons. You know, um, and I just thought, oh, how typical is this of the wild swans? Look, you know, we cannot get a break. You know, so that's where my book
1: starts. Um, because the cause that album is particularly strong. I mean, production is beautiful, the lyrics. I love the opening track, fall into bits. I mean, every song is good. Has your r- songwriting changed quite a bit at this stage in your mind? Yeah, y- yes. Yeah, it has. I'm just
0: gonna move because I can just see my battery is about to die. Um it's better with uh, me it's I I hadn't I had no choice. I was I was so angry with myself for for consistently failing in the mission <laughs> um, with the wild swans, um, that I just got my shit together. Really, I started. I started working far harder than I ever had on on the on the on the lyrics and the um, the songs. I wrote all the songs. At home on a Porter studio, uh, Ricky Mamie came to the house and kind of embellished, did some embellishments and stuff. And we booked into a studio in Liverpool, a nice studio, Par Street. It's just been demolished, apparently. And the engineer there was a very young lad, uh, but he was kind of brilliant and an amazing pianist. And I I went out on lunchtime. When I came back, he was playing this gorgeous piano and. Um, I got him to play on 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 the album, and then he loved it so much he offered to join the group. So, so it's down to him actually. The production is is for a, a large part. of The production is is down to him. A guy called Rich Turvey. Well, he's now he's now a massive producer. Produces the Coral and Blossoms. He's had a couple of number one records, you know. Um, so. Yeah, and but all these guys are sort of on metaphorical speed dial. Do you know what I mean? So, that, so they all came back for for the, for the new record, the one that will come out next year. Right. I got them all. I got them all back in, and um, you know, they're just we've got that sort of friendship that we cannot speak to each other for a couple of years, but when we see each other, it's just it's like we're right back in. You know. Um, so, and you know, I'm not daft. I also kind of I've seeded the book with with some of this stuff. I've I've mythologized in a way the recording of this new record because I need help. You know, I can't afford to finish this this thing, you know. So you know, hopefully someone's gonna Well I've actually to be honest, since I got to Glasgow, Ricky said to me, Hey man, you should go and see Ian Smith at last night from Glasgow label. He only lives down the road from you. So so I I called in to introduce myself to Ian, and he's, he's he's quite inscrutable. So I walked in and went, oh, hi, Ian. I think we've got a friend in common. You know, Ricky from the Jones Thomas. Again, nothing. You've said, my name's Paul Simpson.' you know, um, from the Wild Swans. Nothing. Blank face. Uh, used to be the Tin Bricks, but nothing. Used to work with Ian but nothing. You know, like that. And I'm just about to have them out of lunch, and I was getting a bit humiliated by now. He just says, uh, I <laughs> I knew who you were when you walked in. I was like, "Oh, you bastard!" You know. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the, um, so we got talking and about, you know, he said, "So what, what? What's the status of of your? You know, are you are you with anyone? Are you what's the status of your back catalog? And I said, "Well, you know, I, those those sire albums are probably going to revert back to to the band next year." And he said, "Well, do you want me to look into maybe licensing them?" Or you know whatever you think or you know should we should we put some of those records out you know and and i said well i've got a new record you know just it's finishing he said okay well let's do it so um so so that's pending you know it's just me finding the time and the um and and getting my health to the point where i can go and finish the vocals and just get it out you know Yes. Maybe talk maybe touring it, but touring's a huge, a huge commitment now, especially when you're band. You know, I've got one guy lives in Cornwall, one guy lives in LA, and San Francisco. You know, uh, I've got a bass player in Australia. It, you know, it's it's huge that sort of stuff. So I'm going to need to take some sort of big decisions really there on, on on how to how to do it, and and even do I want to? Do I want to? Do I want to tour? I don't in, I don't particularly enjoy it, to be honest. I never yes. used to. I never used to. Maybe I will now. I mean, there's a, I don't know whether you read there's a there's a, a story in the book called um semi-precious metal, I think. And it's about me going to the Philippines alone in 2019, just before COVID. I went alone. I didn't take the band. And I had a kind of Filipino while swans who amazingly were like no perfect, you know. <laughs> and, then, and and it's not like that, they're, they're not really, they're not session guys really. They're all in their own bands. It's just my my as I said, I don't really just want some pickup band, you know. My promoter, the Jesse Cambosa, is put them together really and picked them. And said these 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 guys might be and, and they were they were fantastic. Um
1: so, because you've got a band, yeah. is this the one? Because I saw watching a live one in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it's your band that you've got with um, Mooney Patterson. Oh yes,
0: no. So so that was 2011 or something like that when we went over. But I went back in 2019 to headline this festival. I went under my own name, so it wasn't billed of the Wild Swans. It was Paul Simpson right. of the Wild Swans um, as an experiment, really, because it's apart from anything else. It's, it's it's a nightmare trying to get five guys of all available at the same time that are all in other bands or have got day jobs or whatever, you know. But also, I just I just financially couldn't afford. It. I just thought I need to I need I, you know I need to I need to treat this a bit more seriously, a bit more like a business because I'm starving to death here and I'm reliant on the on the on the on the kindness of of my 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 partner, you know. And um, I need I need to be a bit more um business like about it so I, I i yeah i went alone it was good <laughs> i quite enjoyed it but but uh, why it's called semi precious metals so i've always been a terrible frontman, in my opinion um seymour stein said it was the worst frontman he'd ever seen in He's his a... entire you know <laughs> 60 years in the business um because i he said you you turn you you don't talk to the audience, you don't introduce the band, you you played, you sang three songs with your back to the audience, you know. But you see, because I was a punk and a and a, a post punk, that was kind of you didn't trying too hard it was a crime back in the day, you know. Yes, any, I any, any, yeah, any band that got on stage at Erickson went, good evening everyone, are you ready to rock? You know, it'd be like pelted with bloody beer glasses, you know. Um it you just didn't do that. We would come from the subway sex thing. Where you shamble, you know, you, you you stumble on stage and you do the bare minimum you can because that's cool. You don't say anything and you fuck off, you know. And um, uh, so, but but I always wondered what it must be like to connect with your audience, you know. So a Filipino audience is completely different to 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 a Brit audience. So. A great audience. You know, you'll have your loyal guys who turn up, but you'll also have your beard strokers who are kind of like, oh, that's not, a, that's not, a, on the album, it's a diminished ninth. That's a and <laughs> sixth, you know. And um, and also just like, come on, impress us, you know. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah that, that whole kind of trying to win a crowd over thing. I hate all that. And um, But so also, I, I was the... I was known for my clothes back in the day. I used to work through this sort of de-mob World War II aesthetic going on. And that that changed into sort of tweed suit and brogues thing as I got a bit older. So when I went back, I, I kind of, I'd been, to, to get my health to a standard that I could perform after after the, the, the Sri Lankan illness, I joined a gym and I started jogging on the beach. I was eating healthily and I started kind of getting a bit f- the fittest I've, I've ever been, actually. You know, and my body shape changed. I was a bit kind of looking a bit buffy even, you know. And um, so I started I, 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 as an experiment. I bought some kind of just sort of black and kind of, not black denim, but just black, black sort of jeans and these sort of, sort of, you know, kind of Nick Drake boots and a kind of short. I've never worn short sleeves in my life because I was always too skinny. It's short, sort of short, tight black shirt and I had sort of jewellery on, sort of rock and roll rings and stuff. And I had this big studded heavy metal belt, you know, everything I'd ever hated actually. But I think a bit like when David Bowie kind of, when, when the Heroes album came out, Yes, and he's, he's just wore jeans and a leather jacket. You know, n- none of the none of the fancy stuff. He was famous for the dressing up box stuff, because he knew that the times were changing. But he also knew he wasn't stupid. He knew that David Bowie, just in a little a black leather jacket, and jeans was massive. It was like, oh my god, you know, this is cool. You know, um, so as an experiment. And cause I'm two thousand miles away from home, um I kind of got on stage wearing the garb of a frontman, a rock frontman. And my God, the difference in my attitude, my performance, and the difference the it's it's like i'd I'd taken a step towards my audience. I've always stood far back keeping them at a distance that wasn't my intention but that's what i was doing so in and i literally stepped to the front of the lip of the stage i took my mic off the mic stand which i've never done and i literally performed like i i i faked being a rock star to find the authentic performer in me and I ended up loving it and the audience responded and and i thought oh my god why has it taken me so long to realize that this isn't selling out this isn't selling out it's it's just upholding the bargain they've paid a lot particularly the philippines which is a poor country they paid a lot of money to be at this event tonight i'm not gonna be cool with them they, they wouldn't recognize that anyway they're so filled with love the filipino people they're so Gorgeous and 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 filled with uh, and love. All they needed was permission to 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 leave their seats. You know, it was a it was actually a big, it was an eight billion dollar Chinese built complex with casinos and hotels and stuff. Eight billion dollars, um, amazing place, you know. Um, but it was seated, and there were some sort of dignitaries sitting at the front. You know, and I was thinking, oh, God, I, this isn't going to work unless I connect with them. So two girls came down to the front from the back, stood right at the lip of the stage. And I just bent down to them to kind of high five them kind of thing. <laughs> and the minute I did that, the whole crowd just went to the front. I thought, oh, that's all they needed. All the, all the audience ever needs is permission. They need, they need the band to give them permission to to engage and and of course you know um Depeche Mode know this you know which is why they got massive. and you too know this it's Coldplay only poor Simpson of- and fucking <laughs> wild well, swans don't know this you know um, I guess I guess you it-
1: were doing more Marky Smith than Yes. Well, I don't
0: know what I was doing. I was doing Paul Simpson because I've never done him before. Because I did, I you know I wasn't when I wasn't faking it. That's not what I'm saying. I I was only the only thing fake thing about it was I I chose these clothes deliberately.
1: Yes. to, did you, did you to, allow to enjoy yourself? Was it a matter of just thinking? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally enjoyed the whole experience. It was fantastic. Um, only one thing marred it slightly, which you might not have got to in the book yet. And that's, so I'm backstage. I'm, I'm, I'm in the holding area at the side of the stage. My band are up on stage playing the intro. You know, the intro music is playing. And it's I'm I'm i I'm, I'm 60 seconds away from climbing on stage, and I hear this voice go, Paul, Paul. And I'm like, there's a voice. I can't see them because there's this sort of black curtain separating me from the the room. You know, oh Paul, um, let me through. It's me, your brother. Well, I don't have a brother, to my knowledge. It's me, your brother. And I'm like thinking, yeah, man, we're all brothers, and, you know, in life. And he's going, no, 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 I'm literally your brother. Your dad got my mom pregnant here in the 1960s. Now, anyone else would have just thought, oh, this is a madman, except I was the only person in that room that knew that my dad had been to the Philippines maybe 20 times in the 1960s with the Merchant Navy. It was a regular port of call for him. Yes. I know he had women in other ports. You know, we knew that. So it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that this guy was taking the truth. Anyway, but I'm like, I'm just about to go on stage to so all these people, you know, my music's playing, and you've hit me with that. <laughs> you know? so, um, so I have to go on stage, and I have to think, I, I just have to sort of think, I've got, you've got to block that out. You've got to just compartmentalise that, deal with that later, because you've it's going to ruin this event. So I climb on stage and um, start the first song, and then I can see this pair of arms moving like this. In the crowd, you know, and he's this guy's about a foot tall, because Filipinos are a lot smaller than than we are in the UK, or for, or for the most part. So there's this guy's a full head taller than everyone else. He's the only Westerner in the room, apart from me. And he's like this, and he's he's really and he's shouting out, Paul, Paul, you know. I'm like, no, no, I can't do and um so um. It was just one of the most bizarre things that's ever happened to me and um anyway so i'm trying not to look at that side of the stage i'm just trying to ignore him and um and then when i look back he's he's just gone so anyway after the show i've got to sign autographs i'm signing autographs for hours because you know it's a queue form forms and eventually I get to speak to our security guys, and I said, was there, "Was there like a Westerner in the crowd, you know?" And then I said, "Then, um, oh yeah, we, we threw him out, because he was getting in the the gig was being filmed, right. and it was also being recorded, and he was making so much racket, and he was getting in the way of the photographers and stuff and the, and the, and the, and the movie camera. Um, they, threw, they threw him out. So I don't know to this day if he was just some drunk guy that stumbled in from the casino or I've got a brother in the Philippines, but I've put it in the book in case it might draw him out of the woodwork, you know?
1: Yes. My God, that is so Like a splinter. Yes. Well, they're just in, and there was a few babies born in the second world war in, you know, where I grew up in East Anglia Mm. because Americans came over on on their bombing missions and, you know, obviously the discos, the local discos and dancers were sort of, you know, <laughs> those,
0: those wartime discos.
1: <laughs> you, you know, they weren't going to sort of think too much about, you know, long-term relationships. It was like, well, we're going to be flying tomorrow over Berlin. Yeah, we, yeah. It's yeah. um, yes, there you go. It it did happen. So it's uh, God, that is so strange. That was a
0: but, but but life is strange, isn't it? Life is completely magical. I was talking to someone yesterday about this. They were, uh, it, um, someone was mentioned. Courtney Love, that whole Courtney Love thing, you know, coming to Liverpool thing, and um, and they said, you know, what what were the chances of of a ringing your doorbell kind of thing? And but I thought, well, that's just one of many, many, many weird and wonderful events in one's life, and that's just my life. You'll have your weird and wonderful events in your life. It's just we, we don't. We don't recognise them as significant, really, until you write it down. You know, I, 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 I reckon you stop any person at random in the street and got them to write their life story down. It wouldn't be less dramatic than mine, or wouldn't have it. You know, it's just it's like it's like um, God. I've read this fantastic thing. I think it might be Terence McKenna. I think it, yeah. And he, he he said, if if you if you showed a child a little child, if you presented him with a peacock, if you just placed a peacock in front of him, but you didn't say, this is a peacock, this is a bird, these are called feathers, you know. If you just let him experience it, you know, I'm talking about like a two two year old, without limiting it with language yeah. you would perceive it in its true form as a magical creature you know and 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 i believe it's like this is this is what what i've gleaned of Leighton writing the book, that life is magical. And we're living in a magical dimension, but we're we're taught from childhood that it's not, that it's normal, you know, that this stuff that we we, we turn our taps to this translucent fluid comes out that enables us to stay alive. But but we're taught that that's a tap and you make a cup of tea from that and it comes from the reservoir, and it, which comes from rain. And we... we, we we demagicalize life from the minute our children are born. We start, um, we start limiting that that that. We blinker their perception of existence. You know, yes. oh, that got a bit, psych- got a bit psychedelic, didn't it? Didn't mean well. Something. It did, and it,
1: well, it was interesting because I don't know if it was um, something similar, but. I don't know, someone said try having a day where you kind of give thanks to everything that happens and it is like you know the water and imagine where that comes from mm. and you know your sewage and where that goes and you're thinking yeah that mm. would be and because if it's not there we just go oh This is a disaster. Today is going to be, a you know, but we take it Mm. all for granted, like electricity or the buses running or your car works, Mm. giving thanks Mm. to just everything like, you know, the milk that you put, the coffee, where that comes from. Mm -hmm. you, You start to kind of blow up your brain because you think, actually, I'm so lucky because everything is so easy. But so we spend more of our time in that sense of kind of worrying about the negative because it's like this old tradition of wondering if we're being hunted. So we sort of go back to that deep ancestral you know element of thinking you know our defense systems rather than thinking that's a miracle that's another miracle i've had so many miracles already i'm so so blessed because everyone would think you're completely mental wouldn't they so
0: yeah but yeah. Li- life is miraculous and, and and the tragedy of it is that we don't we don't um we don't teach that to 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 our children really um you know Hence, you know, every, every school kids with 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 uh, with with their faces stuck, stuck stuck to a screen, you know, in 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 the street, you know. Um, I mean, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm really glad our generation we didn't grow up with 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 mobile phones. You know, I don't I don't know how we ever organised anything,
1: but we did, didn't we? Payphones, you know, payphones, hey, two pieces in a payphone that smelled of yeah. piss, and I, I suppose you just they <laughs> did, didn't they? Um, I suppose
0: you'd just—I suppose you'd just be late if someone didn't turn up. You would just wait for them half an hour and then you would go home, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, that's that, it. That was ex- that
0: was ex- that was accepted, wasn't
1: it? The half hour of waiting. Yes, you'd say, yeah. "Look, why don't we just say the time we're going to turn up rather than the time," and then all turn up half an hour late or an hour late in some. Yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah. You would sweat it out and you would expect it, but yes, I mean, I do mm-hmm. remember. You know, was it Tracy Thorne, Her book where she was still in whole? Probably at university and go into the phone box because Paul Weller was going to sort of ring, you know, and she went there to hang out. Mm. Just oh right, that, oh hi Paul, you know who was who had just been in the yeah gym yeah, and just yeah. like yeah, I'll come down and do you know some backing vocals, right? Cheers, fine. Ge- you know. A ger-
0: journalist would ring your rehearsal room, Amazing. and
1: you'd you'd be doing an interview with sounds
0: <laughs> while you're popping Ps in, you know.
1: <laughs> I know it's it is quite weird and also I remember one guy who I did an interview with who did a book and was in the world of PR as well as writing and stuff like that and he said you know when they used to send records to journalists they would sort of put a little bag of cocaine and send it and they'd get this brilliant review and was all very but, it all seems very clean. That, um, that wasn't McHoughton was it? I have done an interview with Mick, but it wasn't. But it was all part yeah. of that Because kind of, all everyone's done a book now, haven't they? From Phil mm. Savage to Mick Houghton to everybody, they've all done mm-hmm. that. But I think mm-hmm. getting the journalist drunk and giving them a good night in Dublin or you know in mm-hmm. Manchester, you know, guaranteed a, a good record review. And um, yeah, yes, you know, they weren't going to mess with that one. So it, it does change slightly. But from what you were just saying with your Glasgow connection, there are kind of an optimistic this decade which has not been a great one so far could turn out to be a blinder
0: yeah i mean um well again there's, we've got to be optimistic there's another thing in in my book is 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 a line fear kills magic you know um i've never really been fearful because it doesn't it doesn't work for me if I start to doubt myself or start worrying about money, it, it kind of manifests that. It, things just get worse. If I if I absolutely just carry on as best as I can and just, just stay positive, oh but you know, tomorrow it'll bet we'd be better, you know, chuckle around tomorrow, whatever. Um the universe sort of looks after you. But if 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 you you know also, you, you do have to, if, if you want, if you want, if you want good stuff to happen, you have to put yourself in the stream where good things happen. Um, I remember having this conversation with my partner, Jamma, uh, she's a theatre director, and, and, and it's the reason why we came to Glasgow. She, she, she uh, took a job up here. And, um. I, I I would have these sort of decades in my life where nothing happened, and I, I, while well, I was waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for someone to discover me, you know, um, and, and I've still got friends who do that. They're still waiting to be, to be discovered. They don't realise that you actually have to you have to put yourself in the stream. You have to put yourself in, and by the stream, I, I mean. Well, depending on what you're doing, you do, you have to engage with social media. You have to, you have to, if you're a painter, you know, you, no one's going to knock on the door the last to see your paintings. You have to approach agents or you have to approach that little tiny gallery that's opened at the end of your street. You know, you just, you have to, you have to put yourself in the stream where, where the energy is flowing. And that's that's one of the reasons I left Liverpool is you know my partner was was being head headhunted and jumpers are coming up here. But she said, what about you? You know, w- w- would you be prepared to leave Liverpool? But what I found was in the last five years, the last five years in Liverpool, m- nothing much was happening. I, I wasn't really I wasn't feeling much love there from for for, for for what I was doing. Um and well, the, the analogy I, I used was, you know, you we've all got a pot plant at home that we pass three times a day and say, "Oh, I must repot that. It's looking a bit yes. <laughs> root bound." And then that one day you do, you pull it out, and there's no soil at all. It's just roots. It's literally just roots. Well, I think that's what happened to me in Liverpool. There was no nutrients. There's no new. No fertilizer going into into my roots. There was not, you know, there was no nothing new was happening. It was just the same. Well, oh, you're Paul Simpson from the teardrops the Wells, sort yeah. You know, there was, there was no new energy swirling about me. And the minute I arrived in Glasgow, which was quite dramatic because my our, our, my car wouldn't start. We were, we were driving up to Glasgow with a car loaded up. My car was dead in the drive. I was like, oh no, it was quite an old car. As well, so it wasn't sort of like just a, a quick fix thing. um So Gemma and I jumped on a train with just one suitcase apiece. Um, but it was quite exciting that you know we uh, it, it felt like we're teenagers running away from home, and it's quite it's quite liberating leaving everything behind. You know, I mean, obviously we were going to go back when we when we found somewhere to live. We were going to get our stuff back, but. Um, so we arrived uh, just after Christmas two years ago in this rented room, and we woke up the first morning. We arrived, opened the curtains, and it had snowed overnight. And there was a little one of those lovely sort of parks that sort, of, yes. you know, sort of private parks from the ten- tenements in Glasgow in the West End, and um, there were baby foxes playing in the snow. And it was like, it was just one of the most magical things I've ever seen. You know, early morning, the orange um, street lamps are still on. And there's foxes jumping in over each other in this, in this park. Um, turned on the radio, and it's this um, astrophysicist called Roger Penrose. Penrose? Penfold Penrose. Roger Penrose declaring that the Big Bang... It was not the end, sorry, it was not the beginning of our universe, but the end of the previous one. <laughs> I was just like, when <laughs> my brain just kind of <laughs> It's like like the TARDIS, has these doors open to my brain. Now whether yeah. that's true, whether that's true or not, it was a fantastic kind of thing to wake up to. It all it seemed like nothing but possibilities, you know. It was all. It was all good. 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 Good points for the future, and then um, Rev Spirit got re-released by Optic Nerve as a seven-inch, went to number one, and then the Queen died. It was like result. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All my dreams have come true, you know. Amazing. Uh, Because I I think people would be, once they get the book and they rediscover the work again and new people, mm. I think they would just love to hear a new album, have the repackaged, and then see a sort of tour for, you know, like just around the country, a 10-day tour. I think... that's doable. I think you would be, I think... I do think that people would just be overwhelmed and excited because it's like, oh yes, this is brilliant. Cause because those, you know, you get those 80s, rock the 80s things, and you get 20 mm. bands, a member of musical youth. Yeah,
0: I've I've been offered those, yeah.
1: And that and it looks really, you know, banana rama, Nick Kershaw, and it's like, oh my God, Tony Hadley. But I think just going back to the clubs or just having a, a sort of fixed circuit, I think people would just adore it. I think they would just be so excited.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I mean if I, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, I have got a UK promoter that have been on his books for 10 years but I've never done a gig <laughs> with him um, and, and every now and again he gets in touch and I feel awful because I barely respond offering me kind of things. He says, oh you know there will there will be a kind of demand for it and you know, it'd be good to play these sort of interesting venues and this church here and that sort of stuff. But part of me would quite like to do I've got. I've made friends with this band in Dublin. I've been over in Dublin a lot lately. I've made, made friends with this this um, band called the Prongs, who just got got their first album out. But they, you know, they're they're they they're, they're not as old as me, but they're not young men. It's kind of quite literate, sort of spoke, spoken spoken words stuff. Um, and he asked me to. So the Prongs played two weeks ago in Dublin, and they asked me to get up and read. A kind of extract because it's the the, 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 the the singer um uh has got has got a book out called the nano express john fleming asked me to, to read a uh, an extract from it during the gig well it was quite a small room but i'd forgotten the, the energy in there was fantastic they were a bit nervous before they went on. i said don't be nervous because everyone that is in here wants to be here you can I Feel there's a beautiful atmosphere in here, and I got really nostalgic for the small gig experience, you know. And I thought, yes. oh, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind, you know. And they they totally aced it, you know. It was a fantastic thing, and and but also me, I had to get up on stage and read this this book extract. And although that's all it was, it was two minutes, you know. But I kind of I felt that oh, I forgot about these sort of gigs. These are great, you know. These the, the sort of gigs where you afterwards you, you make friends with 20 people in the audience and they stay your friends for years you know yes um so yeah i wouldn't mind yeah you make i'm getting quite excited about the idea now i had not i not hadn't really uh, everything's changing all the time you know the energy's changing things are looking quite good from the book at the moment i'm getting some very nice feedback from some quite important kind of names and stuff and um i've got so i'll have my first reviews Going in, in 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 next week and let's um, you know fingers crossed, see what happens but um, um yeah um I'm, I'm quite optimistic about about next year and yes and and it, yeah it might be nice to, to actually play live again I might find that myself enjoying it Eileen.
1: so with your with the book do you ever hmm. run it by any of the people that you've written about I mean are there any any of these sort of members that you've just said, look, I've just I've done a book, and this this is it. it's going to be fun.
0: Well, then, then, then they they, they, they they've all they all knew I was doing it because you know I was saying I over I'm a terrible overpromiser. I always I always tell people what I'm doing years before it manifests. You know. Um, and I did that with with the book. I told people I was doing it long before. The only person I've really spoken to about it is is Will Sargent. You know, Bunny Went Will, because he's he's been reading it for years. He gave me a nice quote for the back of it saying I've been reading Paul's hilarious writing for years, you know, now it's your turn kind of thing. Um and and uh, Jed Quinn, the the key the original keyboard player in in the Wild Swans, who who's a, a painter, a fine artist now, uh, and I speak to him like once a week, and he's 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 been sort of holding my hand through it, and he was actually very encouraging, considering he's he's in the book for good and for bad. Um, he was blatant. He just said, "Don't listen to anyone. Don't think about what what I think or Julian thinks or." Mac thinks or Jerry Kelly thinks just write the book you want to write you know they can write their own books if they don't like it know. um and I did you know and 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 um he's been brilliant about it. it's been really really uh encouraging but 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 uh that's that, that's all so far I didn't really feel compelled to like Helen Yor was doing it because they didn't tell me when they were doing their things. You know, <laughs> Julian yes. didn't tell me he was writing a book; it just appeared. You know,
1: actually, that's um, quite freaky with Julian because he did that. I got a book. His um, his one on stone circles. I think it's. the <laughs> story. Something. Something like 25 years old or sort of even older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I got it as a Christmas present. I thought, oh, God, that's, um, that was a bit weird. I think there's some anniversary. So I think it's going to be fine. Everybody, I guess you just have to sort of wave that first, m- m- ride the first wave of like, oh, okay, never mind. Let's move well, on. Well, I'll
0: I'm pro- I'm probably avoid reviews unless someone tells me, oh, that's a great review <laughs> that, that person's <laughs> given you. Um, because I you know, I don't I don't want to. I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, I, I'm no I no longer suffer from depression. As far as you know, um I'm not on any sort of medication. I've just kind of dealt with all that stuff now. And the book's helped with that. Um and I don't want anything to sort of bring me down. My 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 only real fear about the book was that I, I thought I might be accused of pretension. You did misinterpret my yeah, just, just that it's pretentious, really. But, but um it's just you know it's not, it's not, it's not, I don't think it is pretentious, but there's not you know Ropsey music were pretentious and I love them,
1: you know. Yes, I know no one's ever worried about them. Well I think it's mm. brilliant and I'm so pleased that yes, it's all happened. Well, and, and thank uh, you
0: so much, Dave. I, I really appreciate that. And it's yeah. it's nice talking to you again after after so long. And I did I did laugh when when, when this was um because I think this meeting didn't come via you; it came via Jawbone or the press office or something, didn't it? Yes. And and I did laugh because I thought, "Oh my God, he's the only person." Um, Dave's the only person that I that I that I kind of confessed all this stuff to <laughs> years before the book, you know, in because in, I'd had a few too many uh, glasses of rum <laughs> one afternoon. <laughs> and yes. The little grapes. Yeah,
1: I know, but um, yeah. yes, but it's good. I think let it go. That's what they say, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to let it go. No one, no one. Yes, it's good. But look, thank you ever so much, and I'll keep in touch with Ben.
0: Yeah, no, no, thank you, um, thank you so so much, David. It's, it's a pleasure. It's, as it was a pleasure last time talking to you. Yes, uh, uh, um, yeah. Let me know when it's uh, it's going out.
1: I will, I will. But look, yeah. take care, and have a lovely solstice. You too. Okay. easy. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview, just in case you didn't guess. Anyway, a massive thank you you to Paul Simpson from The Wild Swans, whose book titled Revolutionary Spirit, a post-punk exorcism, is out, available from all good bookshops and probably online as well from Jawbone Press. This has been The C86 Show. This is David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And all these interviews have been archived, aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, it's true. Have a great week, stay safe.